Welcome to Hard Beautiful Journey. This is a podcast about addictions, mental health, and unresolved trauma. Do you want to feel less alone and more supported on the addiction journey you never thought you would be on? Do you find yourself asking questions such as, how can I help my loved one overcome their addiction? And am I doing enough? Do you wake up afraid that today will be the day your loved one overdoses and passes away? Hey, I'm Tiffany. I too felt helpless and wished that I could do more to help my brother who was struggling with addiction and mental health. I wanted him to find the help he needed and turn his life around, but I kept telling myself, it's too hard to beat this, there are not enough resources, and I'm not a professional, so what else can I do? I felt alone until I found hope through community, and I want to help you do the same. In this podcast, you will find community, hope, and resources to support your loved one through their addiction, and most importantly, support you. So grab a seat, get your earbuds in, and let's take this hard, beautiful journey together. Hey friends, thanks for checking out this episode of Hard Beautiful Journey. As always, I'm super, super grateful that you are here. Today is the conclusion of the episode with Eric Kusin from number 68. If you didn't check that one out yet, I highly recommend it. Eric is the founder of the organization hashtag same here global mental health movement. And in episode 68, he shared his personal story of fighting against a severe mental health crisis how he was misdiagnosed for years, the missing part of the equation, and what led him to founding a global mental health movement. In this episode, we openly talk about suicide and suicide ideations. So if you are vulnerable to this right now, please ensure you check out the resources in the show notes where you can reach out to get some assistance. We also talk about something that I truly think would be beneficial in all schools, and that is the same here scale. I can't wait for you to hear about this, so let's get to the conclusion of my interview with Eric. Let's get into these college university students and what is going on lately. It's not just lately, it's been going on for a while, but like I let you know, I had Michaela Brewer on my show last season, Mm -hmm. and the work that she's doing is incredible. But literally five days after she was on my show, Katie committed suicide. Yeah. 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 And it's just, it's happening over and over and over again. So what, what's your thoughts on, on what is going on there? So, you know, back to the the conversation of what suicide is, right. And, and uh, look, if someone, if there's a suicidologist out there who wants to challenge this belief in working with our doctors, happy for the debate. But none of us yet have been able to slice open a brain, look into the cross section of that brain prior to a suicide happening, identify on a neuronal level, this is the brain cell that is causing the defect and the error to happen where the thought of self-harm is happening to that person, right? So we don't have a definitive way of looking at it saying this is what organically is happening in the brain to create this. Same way, you know, I'll take suicide out of it. Why did someone vote for Donald Trump versus Joe Biden? Can you identify that in someone's brain and where that is? Where does that thought arise, that feeling to pull the lever on one versus the other? We can't do those things, right? Mm -hmm. So, look, here's my belief with that continuum that we all live on is we start in this place 
called psychological flexibility, okay? Where our parasympathetic response is our dominant response most of the day. I'm talking to Tiffany. I'm in the moment. I'm not worrying about other things. I can appreciate this and feel like, okay, we're having a nice back and forth. And then the sympathetic response is there in case something happens. So if I hear my dog start barking, like I heard earlier, and then I'm afraid something happened to my dog, I rush up. What's wrong? What, what, what happened there? Is another dog, did another dog grab him? Oh my God, I need to go help my dog, right? That's the sympathetic response coming into play. Now, once that happens, we've got nice mechanisms in our body that take that sympathetic response back down, right? The cortisol levels decrease, right? And, you know, uh, DHEA starts to kick in a little bit and starts to drive that cortisol down. And there's, there's, there's mechanisms in place to say, okay, when I need it, it's there but I don't need it all the time. Mm -hmm. What happens is over time, now all of a sudden, if I have many experiences, like I just, that's why I share my story with my child. Well, now every time the phone rings, I'm thinking something happened to my brother, something happened to my brother, something happened to my brother. And now it's not just when the events actually happen. It's because they've happened so often. My brain is going to, they happen, they happen, they happen. What happens if they happen again? I'm on the basketball court two miles away from my house. An ambulance goes by. That ambulance is definitely going to my house. It could be like it was in my case, but it could be like in anyone's case. You could have been in turbulence on an airplane. And now when you walk outside every day, seeing an airplane fly in the sky reminds you life is really fleeting. At any moment, a plane could fall out of the sky. Mm-hmm. that makes someone's sympathetic response start to kick in at different levels, right? Can I interrupt you in. here? Can yeah. I interrupt you here? This yeah. is exactly what I know I was going through in the last three, four months of my brother's life because he had had a couple of overdoses and, and it was like, you're waiting for that call. And it's like, you're on heightened alert, right? And you're, you're going up there so fast every time that it's those it's those car crashes right yeah. that i was describing with the breathing thing so you're i was saying a car crash doesn't happen every second of every day but your brother being you know in a precarious situation and you fearing the worst of what might happen is the equivalent so mm-hmm. whether you're actively sitting at your computer when you're working going oh, your subconscious is doing that yeah and your subconscious is going what might happen so now all of a sudden this place where we started psychological flexibility the sympathetic response starts to become more dominant, right? Mm-hmm. And it starts to become, oh my God, I'm hypervigilant. I, my, my palms are sweaty. I'm worried about what might happen next. I, I'm constantly on edge. I can't focus on what's going on. By the way, human beings, we are our own worst enemy. We try to think our way out of that. Why, why am I thinking this way? What, what, what's wrong with me that I can't focus right now? Yeah, I know my brother's sick and that there's potential for bad things happening, but, but can't you just put that out of your mind? What, why does your brain keep going there? So all we do is we make the sympathetic response go either on, on, on higher alert, right? Now take the factors of what people are living through in 2022 versus what we lived through even as recently as the 90s, okay? Mm-hmm. When you and I would go check an email in the 90s, it would be, do, 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 dial up on a you know, modem, you've got mail. And then we were lucky if we had three emails in a day and we were like, I'm a really popular person. I got three emails. This is amazing. Three is amazing. <laughs> now in the pop- Three in hand, a second. You get three in a second. You've got more deadlines than you've ever had before. The kids who are on YouTube are getting the equivalent of deadlines and, and of things bothering them by seeing 
the snap notification, the push notification from, from, uh, from Instagram of my friends doing this and I'm not doing that. They're seeing things like, you know, let's go back a number of years. Assad gasses his people. Those videos of children being gassed are on the internet. These videos of the destruction happening in Ukraine is on the internet for these kids to see. When we grew up, it was a grainy image of a little, you know, dot in the air that looked like a bomb. Can I tell you too? I I still remember sitting at my grandparents' table and my grandpa had, my grandma and grandpa had a little black and white TV sitting in the corner of their dining room. And I still remember seeing images of war. I can't remember what war it was, but Mm -hmm. Iraq, I think. And it was like, I still remember that. And that was when I was like, however old. And And they're seeing it every day. They're seeing it every day and they're seeing it in HD up front because everyone has a phone to be able to tape it. So you remember that and how how poignant that is that you remember that. But the access that we had was one one hundredth of the access that these kids have. Okay, so now if we have greater sympathetic response and we're getting constant barrages of messages coming from these things, right? We're not doing away with phones anytime soon that I've seen. We're not doing away with iPads anytime you know soon that I've seen. So this is happening more and more. Now you take someone like a college athlete, and I don't. The thing is, I don't want to make this about college athletics because mm-hmm. it's not. It's about society. But let's add some of the factors. What happens with college athletes, and then we could show how those factors also apply to other aspects of other people and other arenas of life. So college athletes have a lot on their plate with. Um, the studies that they have to do. Okay. Every college kid does. Okay. But they have practice, they have film sessions, they have games, they have travel, they have their coach with their expectations on them. They have their own expectations on themselves and parents' expectations and their parents' expectations, right? A lot of parents, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they're the kids (laughs) living through what their own expectations of their own careers were. Yes. Fans expectations and NIL expectations right now, right? Name and image and likeness because anyone can get paid. So you add these things up. This is an accumulation. That's that plaque in the arteries. This is that plaque for the central nervous system. More and more and more and more building, right? And so the reason I share my story is because since it came out of nowhere, though it clearly wasn't out of nowhere, it was those years of what I went through with my brother and my friends eventually then taking me down is... We lose a Katie Meyer where you say, not them, you never would have thought. We lose a Robert Martin from, you know, Binghamton, not them, you never would have thought. Like the most recent one sounds like, unfortunately, I don't know if it was a suicide or not, but we lost a a, a Port Washington lacrosse player who played at UMass, right? Mm -hmm. How do these kids who look like they have everything, who are beautiful kids, clearly like socially you'd expect them to be, how do they go from they're here and then they're not here? And my take on it is, that sympathetic response becomes dominant. And when that sympathetic response becomes dominant, especially athletes, this is, I think, why athletes are very susceptible is athletes have something else to turn to, to not deal with that, right? So it's like, oh, if I just focus my attention on the field, my haven is on the field, on the court, on the ice, that gets me away from dealing with you. Yeah, I'll deal with that other stuff when I go back to my dorm room and I'll sleep for 10 hours. But if I, well, if you're, an executive and you're like I was and you, or, or you're an accountant, let's say, instead of a sports executive, you're a lawyer. Uh, you need your brain. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need your brain to think when the sympathetic response is getting in there, you crash. And, you know, unfortunately, yes, we do lose a lot of people in those industries, right? But almost as a safeguard is when your brain's not working and you can't do the work, you have no choice but to ask for help. When you're an athlete and you're like, yeah, even though my brain feels like it's 10 million different places, once I get onto the court or the field of the ice, it allows me to tune everything else out and I can at least focus on that one thing. But what that doesn't do is it doesn't allow them to work on all this stuff that's been building, that's been creating that larger sympathetic response that eventually when you reaches that part of the continuum where, you know, we call it freeze or, or possum, right? Or mm-hmm. literally shut down mode, that blue screen of the computer, that's where those error messages start to happen. And describing the reason the way I describe the way they came in my mind, I use the... Um, the uh, the pill bottle as an example, and for anyone who trigger warning for anyone who's hearing this, so that if if these descriptions bother you, you can turn it off at this point. But I'll give some very specific examples. Why can someone go from looking at a knife and saying, "This is a steak knife. I use this to cut my steak to make the pieces thinner, so that I can chew them and digest them more easily," to then, oh, I'm looking at that knife as something that literally can harm myself. Right? I'm not getting graphic. Mm-hmm. Why do people look at a bridge and go? Oh, that's a structure that connects two land masses over water and allows me to get from one land mass to the other to then all of a sudden, that's something that I have this urge for some reason to go near the edge of that bridge and to mm-hmm. do something. How does our brain change to that point? And our collective theory in our group is when it gets to that end of the continuum where the stress trauma level has built so much, the sympathetic response has been so on edge for so long eventually the brain goes abort mission, abort mission, abort mission. This is too much to take on, have to get out of this situation. Why do I go into that level of detail describing that? Because I want to take the shame away from asking for help about suicidal thoughts. If there are 13 million people, this is reported, I think the number is much higher, 13 to 15 million people who had major suicidal thoughts in 2020 was the last time it was, was measured. That's a lot of people relative to 330 million people. Mm-hmm. Why are we not discussing that we're having these thoughts? It's not a character flaw. It's not you saying I'm weak and I don't want to be here anymore. And here's my pro and con list. And I have more cons than pros. So yeah, I don't want to, that's not what's happening. It's literally a breakdown of neural circuitry where the brain is going, get out of this, get out of this pain, get out of this pain. You need to get out of this pain. I'm going to make you think about things and force you like a magnetic pull to get out of this pain. Why should we shame people for that? Instead, we should give them a heads up. We've got a tool called Lifesaver. Like, give people steps to follow when you're feeling that so you know how to get out of that situation so you can save yourself. And it, so it breaks. I'm not, we're never going to be at a place where you can save everyone. Uh, that's been, you know, yeah. but you're never going to be able to save everybody from a heart attack. You nailed it. You nailed it. You know, right? that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, you could be the greatest oncologist in the world and you're going to have patients that die of cancer. Yeah. You can be the greatest cardiologist. You're going to have patients that die of heart disease. Yeah. That doesn't mean we can't make a big dent in it. And that doesn't mean we can't proactively educate and give people tools and skills to be able to get out of situations. And it breaks my heart to think when I, when we do programs in colleges all the time, why didn't these colleges do first person suicide prevention training? Yeah. You might've had a therapist there. Yeah. You might've gotten this person medication. If that's the first time going back to that pill example, when I, 
I don't know what it felt like for you, but when, I, when that thought came over my mind for the first time, my brain went, oh my God, I'm an alien. My brain must have broken. No one has thoughts like this. I must be the only person in the world who feels like this. Guess what that does to the suicidal ideation? It makes it even stronger. Oh yeah, it and just it takes it from here to here quickly. Yes, so how are we expecting kids to fight off something that is counterintuitive to us living? Mm-hmm. which is do something yourself, do something yourself, do something yourself. If the anxiety levels through the roof. Now, if we talked about it openly and we gave them examples of how these things manifest, they understood it. And they were like, okay, as awful as this feels right now. And as much as I feel like I can't even fight this. Okay. The first step was this. Here's the numbers I reach out to. Here's the text. Okay. The next step is find a safe place and literally hold on and stay there. Don't mm-hmm. leave there. If we could buy an extra 10, 20, 30 seconds that authorities can get to this person after they've reached out, we're going to save so many more lives. But people are afraid to talk about it in the first person like this. It's always, well, let's let's notice the signs and symptoms in other people. Mm-hmm. What about the signs and symptoms in ourselves? That's mm-hmm. what we need to, to get out there. So, And be okay yeah. with actually saying it out loud, right? I, I don't, I like um, in, the, in the world right now, 2022, if you and I were walking down the street and we didn't know each other, and, you know, I started feeling a pain in my jaw that my left jaw locked up and pain down my arm. I've been told enough times those are the signs of a heart attack. And I'd have no shame of grabbing you who is next to me and being like, hey, ma'am, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm feeling those symptoms of a heart attack. And you take me to the closest hospital right now. Mm-hmm. I- I'm afraid I'm going to drop right here. Mm-hmm. Why do we have an issue as a society with walking down the street, feeling an ideation like, my brain's telling me to jump in front of this car. My brain's telling why can't I reach out to you who's next to me and go, ma'am, I'm having those suicidal thoughts, those things that are telling me to hurt myself. Can you keep me safe right now? Can you keep me out of this situation? That should be so commonplace mm-hmm. that we're there collectively helping each other. And it's, it's an indictment on society, sadly, that we're not there because it shows how much more education we need to do that we're not at a place to feel comfortable to open up about it. I got to tell you this one thing that happened on the weekend, and it actually still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. We had safety training at my work and I, the naloxone kits is not part of the uh, first aid training yet. So I brought that up and why I brought it up. And, and so I started the conversation of, yeah, my brother passed away six months ago. Um, if it wasn't for naloxone, he would have passed away sooner. That then allowed somebody else that was there to say out loud that he attempted suicide three months earlier. And the whole room just, you could feel it like the support and it, and I'm a manager at that company. And I looked at all of them and I just said, I am so effing proud of you guys that we are sitting in this room and that you had the comfort of just saying something that is, you know, hard for you. That then allowed the instructor to, she broke down crying. And she told the story about her nephew committing suicide. Uh, I think it was a year earlier. It was so beautiful <laughs> that everybody could get to a place of support mm-hmm. that I was left speechless. Like I was just like, this is it. 
I mean, I thank you for sharing that. It's it what you did, and then and then the the ripple effect or the waterfall effect, or however you describe, you know, what what came from that. That vulnerability, you know, the the one of the one of the guys that we work with on the on the athlete side, his name is Theo Fleury. So yeah, professional hockey player, and and you know, probably I think one of the fifty greatest of all time, and hopefully will make the Hall of Fame. The reason I started working with Theo before any other athlete. And I didn't know Theo the way that I did other athletes is because when I had those calls, those 315 calls, and I realized the common thread was the stuff we've been through. I looked at the few, there were very few at the time celebrities who were sharing and Theo wasn't saying I'm Theo Fleury and I had PTSD and PTSD is when you have these five symptoms of this list or 20 or more, he gets on stage and he goes, when I was 16 years old, I was raped over 150 times by my male coach. My father was an addicted gambler, and I'd come home every single day afraid that we had lost the house. My mother, you know, preached religion and, you know, made it punitive for me and told me that if I didn't do certain things, I wasn't going to get salvation. Like, I grew up on edge all the time, and the only thing I could do when I went to my NHL career was to drink, drug, gamble, sex, my way through it because I didn't know how to live life on life's terms. That's what makes people open up to you. When Theo does that in a room, people at first are like, oh, male sexual abuse. Like, and then all of a sudden, like people are like, wait a second. If he was able to reveal that, I can say anything in this room. This room is safe right now. That's what it takes. And it's, it, it's not a secret formula, right? It's, it's, it's just being a real person and vulnerable. And in this space, Sadly, we don't have a lot of that. And, and and I and people are gonna be mad at me for saying that if they hear this, but like we have a lot of celebrities willing to give a disorder label, you know, sharing what I shared earlier, and that this is how they found help, but we don't have a lot of celebrities willing to be vulnerable, vulnerable, get deep down in what happened to them as a child, what they lived through, right? That's the thing that people feared of being be, being weakness. That is not a weakness, that stuff that happened to you, but yet that layer still hasn't been broken. It, it still lives in this facade of they're really open because they share they had depression. That's not being open. What's being open is sharing the stuff. Yeah, it's sharing the stuff underneath. And like m- my brother passed away from addictions, but really he yep. passed away Where from did the stuff. Right. The addictions came it wasn't from the addictions because you had an emotional discomfort from mm-hmm. the some things that happened. Right. You know, like I, I can sit up here and tell you that I'm an addict, but I'm an addict of work. And 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 people might think, oh, Eric, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. That's not as dangerous. And that's not a real addiction as drugs are. Guess what? My work addiction prevented me from working on myself, which made me go into the office till two in the morning some mm-hmm. nights which then spun me out of control to this place where I was on my deathbed essentially for that two and a half year period. So anything that you're addicted to typically, I don't want to speak in, you know, uh, in, you know, defining all of it, but most of the things that you're addicted to, you're addicted to because they take you away from dealing with other things. They allow your mind to lock onto something and get away from another feeling. Right. Um, or, or allow your body in a, in a chemical way to lock onto something to not have to deal with other things. So trauma, addiction, suicide, mental health, overdose, they're all cousins living in the same house. And yet media treats it as that person died of overdose. That person died of addiction. That person died of mental health. No, 
these things are all connected and the media is doing us no favors by labeling each of these as separate things. And they're purposely doing it. Let's be honest. They're purposely doing it because it gets more eyeballs when it's the one-off tragedy story related to this specific topic, as opposed to normalizing what talked about emotional pain and suffering is that we all go through because we're all kids at some point in our life. And even as adults, we go through it when we don't know how to heal and work on ourselves. I had a note to talk about Naomi Judd. And I need to tell this story because it still gives me goosebumps every time I think about it. My mom and I were at the mall and not long after, I think a couple of days after she passed away. And my mom said to me, she looked at me and she said, do you think it's a coincidence that she took her life the day before she was inducted into the hall of fame. And I said, no, I don't. And we both got full body goosebumps at the same time. Like our arm, like, and it was just like, she wanted to shine a light on this. If she would have done it at a different time, it might not have been talked about as much as it is now. I think that's a plausible possibility. She'd been talking about it for a number of years, right? So I, I want I want to share a couple of thoughts on that because mm-hmm. I don't want to mm-hmm. diverge too much from that because I want to discuss that possibility and discuss some other things as well. Even if you take that out of it for a second, I want to share with everyone. Here's a woman who in 2018 was interviewed by People Magazine. And in her interview, she talked about the breakdown of neural circuitry and how we don't know exactly how it happened. So here's a woman who's saying she doesn't want to die. Who's saying, yes, yep. I don't In want these things to happen to me. And then four years later, it happens. So back to the shame thing. Okay. It was similar thing with that young woman from Southern university who says, I've been having these urges from the time I was in my young teens and have been fighting them off. Listen, when the people that we lose speak, they're telling us they don't want these feelings to happen. That means their urges, their breakdowns in the system that we don't want to have happen. I think your possibility is one possibility that she was fighting, she was fighting, she was fighting. She gave up her fight at the time when it would shine the light on it the most. Here's the other possibility. And here's why I think about it, because literally right before this call, I had a call with a school that we're going to be working with next year. And the, the, um, the assistant superintendent of curriculum said, I'd love for you to work with our um, coaches and our athletes. We had a situation we didn't know how to handle where we had an athlete who was not that great of a wrestler. Wrestling coach found him. All of a sudden, he's building him up, gets all the way into the, the county finals. He wins the county finals, like to everyone's surprise. And we're all excited and ready for him to go to states and compete at states. And he just shuts down. He's like, wrestling's not for me. I'm not going to continue on and doesn't wrestle anymore. I do think possibility part of what happened with um, Naomi Judd is the gravity of my life is going to be on display. My body of work, all eyes are going to be on me. What's expected of me, how I look to everyone physically, how I've aged or not aged. Um, the, 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 the lifetime achievement of what I've accomplished. Wow. That's a lot to take on. That might've been the straw that broke the camel's back of she's been fighting it. She's been fighting it. She's been fighting it. What took it over the edge? She's got family member who are, members who are checking up on her, right? They know this from at least 2018. We know 
So how does that end up happening? Back to that neural breakdown that she describes, it could be that the gravity of the situation got to such a point that she didn't have it in her. Her body literally, you know, we found out, unfortunately, again, trigger warning, that was a gun, you know, a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But when you have Mm -hmm. a gun in your house and those thoughts are coming to your mind, thoughts are coming to your mind. So I think it one of those two sounds like plausible possibilities, right? Either okay, like I, mm-hmm. or both, or both. Exactly. Or both. But the, the only thing I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to caution mm-hmm. people with the first scenario is it makes it sound like it would be premeditated that she did that. And then it makes it sound like I'm in control yes, of that situation. True. And I think if, if it was the first scenario and or both, that control was more of like, I fight every single day of my life for that thought not to take me over. And I, I'm just done fighting now. I can't mm-hmm. get I, like kind of the, you know, the person who has cancer, who's going in for chemo treatments every day. Like we've got one more experimental drug, one more for you to try. And they're like, my body's just so beaten up at this point. I can't put another foreign thing in my body. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. So when you go into schools or into organizations, you have something called the same here scale. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that? Yeah, Absolutely. So how do we currently communicate with each other when we ask how we're doing? It's Tiffany. How are you? We say we're fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine right. We, our campaign last year was, are you fine with fine? Right. Which we put an X through or a line through five because we're not fine with five. Mm-hmm. So how do you get people to open up? Okay. Well, I was thinking about like common language that we use when you're sick. We all use this thing called a thermometer. And at least here in the U.S., right, for anyone, it's Fahrenheit. And so you, 98.6 is a normal temperature. 99.9 is a low-grade fever. 102 is a high-grade fever. We're able to relate and see, okay, you know, based on how I'm feeling, this might be going on with me. I may have a virus, right? I may have something I'm trying to fight off. When it comes to our weight, we have a scale. We step on the scale. If the average person weighs 200 pounds, let's say, Okay, at 200, this is I'm weighing my average weight that I normally am. At 220, now I'm weighing 20 pounds more. At 180, I'm weighing 20 pounds less. Well, what did I do? Did I eat more? Am I more sedentary? Am I dealing with some kind of physical ailment that's making my metabolism slow down and making me feel groggy? Okay, I can start to look in that. We don't have that for mental health. For mental health, we have here's the GAD7 and the PHQ9. Do you lit? Where do you fit in these factors of whether or not you have depression or you have anxiety or you have these disorders? So the attempt at the scale was to say numerics doesn't do it. You can't have a scale from a zero to a 10 because immediately when you ask someone, how are you feeling? If it's a zero, they're, oh, I'm a loser. I'm done. I like, forget it. I, I'm, I'm an absolute zero. My life is worth nothing. 10, I'm great. I'm an all-star. I'm the best person in the world. So we needed to come up with language that didn't allow a middle answer. So the first thing was only six places on the scale, not five, not seven. So there's no middle answer. And the words and the emojis that come along with the words are ing words, showing that you're constantly moving on that scale and you're not fixed in any one place. So the six spots on the scale from the most optimal neural circuitry go thriving, gliding, surviving, fluctuating, struggling, sinking. And notice that last one, sinking, what I was describing, unfortunately, when we get to the place of suicidal ideation is we don't go from what most people use when they use generic emojis to try to show a range, the most happy to the most sad. 
That's not how our emotions change. It goes from optimal neural circuitry. Yes, smile. I'm in a good place. I'm in the zone right now. But the last place that we get to is not a place of sadness. Sadness and hypervigilance and nervousness are the second to last spot that we get to. The last spot that we get to is this shutdown freeze mode of, I don't care anymore. Do whatever you need to do to me. I'm done. I'm out. I'm checking out right now. How often do we see that in the minds of child or, or in the actions of mm-hmm. children, right? We see that in mm-hmm. school with them all the time. So we needed a check-in tool so that we're not just taking care of the kids who are jumping on the desks and screaming and yelling and saying, you go to the principal's office right now. You, Okay, well, that's one of the kids in the class. What about the young girl who's sitting in the back who's quiet and is writing notes, but she was like Theo. Sadly, over the last two years, she's been raped nine times by someone in her family. Well, she doesn't speak mm-hmm. up. What about the kid who's being bullied in the schoolyard, thick skin, but it's beating them up? You you shared that you remembered watching the war happen on TV. I remember kids in middle school. I was wearing glasses for the first time, and you know they called me sophisticated something, right? And I thought that was like a mean word, right? Like they were like pointing mm-hmm. fun at me, like four eyes, sophisticated, you know, like stuff. I still feel that when I think about that, right? Probably EMDR work I have to do do on that. But but the point is, if we give kids common language and common visuals to be able to choose from, and we make it okay that anyone could be anywhere on that scale at any given point, and that doesn't make you a zero or a 10, it makes you a human being. And then within the app itself, we allow for the classes to show what the aggregate answers are on each given day. So the girl who is sitting in the back who has been raped nine times or the boy who has been bullied is looking at the aggregate answers and goes, oh, I'm not the only one who's not thriving today. It's permission giving now. And now we can start to track how we're feeling over time. And now it's a self-checking tool. It's a tool for the teachers to check in with. And now the teachers have a direct path because of the way that the ecosystem is built that the teacher can forward any student's answer to a school professional click of a button. You're not taking a screenshot. You're not having to write up a report or an email. It's literally the feedback coming from the student of how they're feeling going directly to the teacher and the school professional. So the scale is meant to be, you know, hey, common language, check in, give tools. We're tracking now on that. What is making you feel this way? So we have a list of things like divorce, breakup, also positive things. We don't list them positive and negative, but did great on a, on a test, you know, scored a goal in a, in a game, right? So you're able to put mm-hmm. that on there and then you're able to add additional information about, you know, what that thing is. And then finally, we're tracking what exercises are you doing that day? Mm-hmm. So we have yin yoga and havening and tapping and EM, you know, all these things that the kids could do in class. So now it becomes second nature to them that, oh, my day is filled with me go- moving up and down on this continuum there being reasons why I'm moving up and down and that there's things that I can do to help it. Awesome. You know? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. when you went, so you're telling me that it it's an app and they all fill in, they all complete it on their app in the classroom and that goes and it's displayed as an overall mood in the class. Yeah. So is that how So we have two versions. We have an individual, which is called same here scale where I can track my own and I can text you, Tiffany, as my friend or WhatsApp you or email you the link, you download it. 
we can talk to each other and I can do that with an unlimited number of people. That's the one-to-one version of the app. The school version of the app that we call Same Here Teacher and Same Here Student are we do an upload in the back end. They give us every teacher and they give us the students that they want associated with that teacher. So elementary school is the easiest example of this. This one teacher teaches first grade. These are her or his 30 students. They're all assigned to that teacher. One click of a button, teacher asks, how are you doing? Goes to every single kid's device. Kids go on sliding scale with their finger. I'm feeling this. There's a little you know, information thing that says, what are some of the thoughts and behaviors you might be feeling if you're in one of these places? So if they need extra reinforcement of why they're a certain place, they can read that. And then they get to write in, okay, here's the reason why. And here's the exercises that I was doing or plan to do today. So yes, in literally three seconds from the teacher and maybe at most three minutes from the student, I, I say most, it's about a minute and a half because of the writing thing you can get an emotional snapshot of every single person in class. And then to your question about the aggregate answers, we split that up based on class as opposed to the whole school. So those 30 answers that come in, it's refreshed on a daily basis. You're seeing the distribution across scale as a student without seeing everyone's individual answers. So no one's being outed, but you, oh my God, there's five other kids who are fluctuating. There's four other kids who are just getting by or, or quote, surviving, wow, that means yeah. that I don't need to be thriving every single day because not everyone else is either. And if there's somebody struggling and in the um, the very bottom, what was it called? Yeah, again? so sinking, the struggling, then sinking. Sinking, yep. or even a little, a step above. Yep, fluctuating. That can be forwarded on? Absolutely. Not only can be forwarded on, so the teacher has the option to sort the answers based on sinking through thriving. So they can see the quote, most volatile answers, right? Meaning the ones that are to the furthest to the right on the continuum. And then yes, click of a button, they can forward any ones that they want directly to the school professional. So it's an immediate, hey, this is a student I'd like you to check up on, right? So what we'll do over time, right? Because it's still early in the process of first year we rolled this out, then we could start to use AI technology to say, what trends are we knowing? Are we noticing? Mm -hmm. It's not fair for us to make a decision. Well, just because a student's been struggling three days in a row, we need to intervene right now. Okay, maybe that's something that get, that informs a teacher that you check in with that kid and make sure they're doing okay. But someone's baseline might be different. Like I know for myself, I never put thriving because I like I'm, I'm a perfectionist, right? So I always want to know that there's a next place I can get to. So the best I've ever gotten still to this day is gliding when I check in. That's a different baseline for me than the child who's like, oh, things are going great right now. This is the best I could feel. Same thing on the bottom end of it, right? So, so each of us have a slightly different baseline where we start from. So it's not really fair to say, okay, here's the rule all the time. Let's always check in this exact way. It's a little bit more nuanced, but I think when you tie the school professionals into the process and it's no longer, I need to write up a full report on this student. I need to write an email. I need to send that email. I need to make, no. Now, once you send that information that came from the, the student, and now think about the communication breakdowns that don't happen anymore. What happened in the past was the teacher had to observe the student, had to say something was going on with the student, had to ask the student to come and how are you feeling about this, had to send their recommendations and what their observations was to the school professionals who had to make their own recommendations, observations, 
Then the, then the parent comes in to talk with the school professional about it. That's three different layers of possible misinformation or, or let's just call it of uh, a different interpretation of how that child's doing. You put the power in the hand of the child to say, I'm feeling this way. This is the reason why I'm feeling this way. And these are some of the things I'm going through. Now, all of a sudden, the information is all coming from one source and everyone's looking at the same information at the same time. Well, and that it's not just um, the three or four different people that it's going through. It's the time too. Yes. When time's critical in some cases, right? And that's the thing too. Like it can be something like their sibling said something to them that day. And that's why they're in that situation right now, right? Or no, absolutely. they got they got their, their device taken away. So that's why I'm pissed off today. You well, know, it's so- fascinating you say that, right? Because in some of the pull down options, like the workouts, we let them choose multiple in the reasons why they're out on the scale. We only let them choose one reason. The reason for that is the way the human brain works is it makes trade-offs, right? So, and obviously this, again, everything is simplification. That's obviously more complicated than this, but okay. I, had great breakfast with my parents and we were smiling the whole time. I found out in first period, I got a great grade on that test I studied for last week. Uh, This boy or this girl in class asked me out in third period. Wait a second. I was bullied on the schoolyard. I then get asked the question about how I'm feeling in sixth period. And I'm fluctuating now. Why am I fluctuating? Because that one thing happened with that bully, even though those four other things happened that were all positive that I really enjoyed. Our brain goes to usually the extremes, like this really good thing happened, this really bad thing happened. Okay, let me weigh this really good thing or bad thing relative to the other things that have gone on. Yeah, the reason I'm feeling this way is because of this thing that I'm mostly focused on, you know? Right. And so it allowed, yeah. and, 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 and that's also a long-term thing. I lost my grandfather four weeks ago, but I'm still not over it. When I come into class every day, even though I'm doing well in class, even though I have a lot of friends in class, that's still bothering me. That's what they would put within there. Right. And we were not giving the kids a chance to communicate that. And that's the hope of this tool is that it opens that up. That is incredible. And offline, I'm going to be talking to you. Yeah, more of course. Of course. Because that is, I didn't know that it did all of that. Oh my goodness. Okay. Eric, where can people find you? So our website is samehereglobal.org. So S-A-M-E-H-E-R-E global.org. And all of our social channels are at same here, then underscore global, G-L-O-B-A-L. And finally, you know, I, I'm, I use more of my personal account on LinkedIn just because that's so Eric. And then the last name is K-U-S-S-I-N. Excellent. And I will definitely put all of that in the show notes so people can find you. I end every episode with, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. So, but today I am grateful for, we are finally, finally getting rain. It has been so dry here. So I'm actually grateful that it's raining today. What are you grateful for? So that's today? A, I, I like you put the positive spin on the thing that most people usually complain about. So I haven't been on vacation in about three years. I think most people can probably relate to that just with the COVID thing. Though some people were able to get away and take take trips because of were downtime. So I'm grateful. I've got a friend who's a collaborator with us on there. He's a doctor. And he was like, you're booking something. I'm not going anywhere tropical. We're going to Daytona Beach. There's a, there's a hotel there and a spa there. And he's going to make me do like the self-care type of stuff. 
with the beach, with yeah. the ocean, with the pool, all that stuff. So I'm grateful for having a friend and collaborator who is forcing me to stop the work and focus on myself. Yeah, that is fantastic. It's so important. It is so important to do that self-care and focus on yourself. Even though I talk about it every day, look, I'm, I'm being, I'm admitting that sometimes I need to be reminded of it and forced into it. So, you know, that hopefully that takes the pressure off others and you can say, he's right. Like, let me be a little bit tougher with myself and actually make myself do this. You know, like it's okay mm-hmm. that I haven't, I'm not going to beat myself up, but now how do I make this a priority? Exactly. Thank you so much for this. This has been so amazing. And I know that it is going to help people reframe things and think about things going forward. So I am, I'm really grateful for your time today. I, I appreciate you ending it with the term reframe. Cause I think that's what it is. I think the answers are there. We just need to look at them differently. Mm-hmm. It's a reframe for sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you again, Eric, for this incredible conversation and what you are doing in this world to amplify the message that it truly is five and five. What I take away from this is that it's time to talk about the stuff, the hard stuff, That is the root of the mental health and addiction crisis we are facing. That's when things start to get better for you. It truly is. Eric and I are both proof that when you say out loud, this is what happened to me. It's like a weight lifts off your shoulders and you start to feel true healing start to take place. And when you do it, the majority of the time, you will see it gives others the confidence that they can do the same. I would love to hear your feedback on this interview. Head over to Facebook and like the Hard Beautiful Journey page and comment on this episode's post. Hearing your feedback means the world to me, as do your reviews. I have made a page on my website completely dedicated to leaving feedback for the podcast and how-to instructions for leaving a review. I honestly would be so honored if you would take time to leave me a review on Apple. When you do, it helps my show be put in front of a bigger audience and can help more people. Head to hardbeautifuljourney.com slash leave a review for more information. Up next on the podcast is another great guest and one I can't wait for you to hear. Corey Gauthier is here and him and I graduated together in 1992 and he has an incredible story to share as well. So please be sure and come back next week. Thanks again for being here today and until next time, be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.